Welcome to episode 388 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a great conversation with regular contributor, Brooklyn-based comedian and comedic writer, Nash Rose, with her segment, Nash in New York. And we talk about the pandemic in NYC at present, about Brianna Taylor, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, normal, not being okay, asking the question, is it getting better? Systems in place not representing our lives. Black economics, feminism, as opposed to the empowerment of women. A great conversation with Nash Rose this week. We also have an essay titled Need by Yours Truly. And we share an article from the September 21st, 2020 edition of the New Yorker magazine, written by Charles Bethia, titled Bermuda Wants You, and a poem called Tongue. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused, with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 388 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours.
need. Red tree across the valley from me, asphalt, houses and poles, hanging electric lines in between. Morning dog barks into early afternoon when the village children congregate after pandemic homeschool to play in the woods. Building forts, climbing hills, riding bikes, seeking adrenaline-pumping thrills, just trying to fit into the scheme of things. As we adults bandy about on the Zoom line, jet-set, hip-hop expressways of a new virtual scene, we glean, for sure, the same base need and desire of human connection, understanding, and acceptance. Though, with an added urgency of a societal system pass, fail, pulling and pushing us. I wonder if all too often we forget the good in us so much closer to the surface when we are younger and still are dogged, though in a more cynical, desperate, perhaps nihilistic way, by the same impulses, yearnings and human need to find a sense of place acceptance, affection. It all seems so beautiful, so fleeting, so absurdly obvious and rudderless to this exploration. The navigation in nature that is a drive so natural and yet also controlled, contrived, and convoluted. We choose to exist with our deeper soul discombobulated and muted. We are excluding the best aspects of our species. Mm-hmm. 
Hello, Nash Rose. Is that you? It's me. Nash in New York. Nice to have you back on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Brooklyn-based comedian and comedic writer, among other things. Last time we spoke, Nash, it was I was looking at my log here. It was six months ago, right when things were getting really heavy in New York City, and you were in the thick of it. How's it going now? How is it now, you said? Yeah, how's it going now? Is it any better? Uh, I think it's better. I don't, You know, I don't know if it's better if I'm just used to it, <laughs> if I've adapted. Um, but I would say it's better because we, we're not, like, stuck in the house. And um, we can go places. We can't do indoor anything, like eating and movie theaters or anything yet. But... Um, it's been a good summer, I'd say. How how has uh, it all affected your performances? Um, drastically. I don't. I haven't really been performing stand up at all. Actually, I've kind of just been focusing on music. Surprisingly. Yeah, I noticed you. You set out. You let out or uh, dropped an EP. Right. Yeah, I dropped an EP in July and a single last week and I have another one on the way next month. It's just like um creative outlet while I can't really get on stage right now for stand up. Have you been writing? Not I... really. No. And uh the the whole scene in Brooklyn, you know, let's talk about besides the pandemic, uh, you know, you're many many things and i know hardly about any of them but for you know the few things we've talked about over the years here but one thing that uh, you connect with one aspect of our country you connect with is is the african-american experience given uh, your melanin right <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah. <laughs> how how uh how are you responding? How are you being affected? What are you thinking with regard to all the... I don't even think last time we spoke, uh, George Floyd, George Floyd uh, was... was, uh, was murdered. Murdered, yeah. No, that was, before, that was like right before all of that went down. A lot of, a lot of changes happened since the last time we spoke. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like every other black person and non-black person at this point about it is just, it's exhausting. Um, it's not surprising. Um, I don't know if I'm being a pessimist, but I didn't actually expect them to give her justice. Are you talking Hope about Brianna? Hopeful. Yeah, Brianna Taylor. Um, I was hopeful that they would give her justice, um, but I didn't expect it to actually happen, so... I feel like because of that, I'm not as far in the deep end emotionally as a lot of 
my friends and friend of friends are. But the whole situation, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's just exhausting. <laughs> I guess it <laughs> pays to be it. it pays to be a skeptic. Then I guess you're not so disappointed when when things occur that uh, are unjust. But I guess you don't want to become cynical, right? Yeah. Now. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it. It's just something that is normal in my world. So you hope for a change. And if a change happens, that's when you're happy. That's how I see it. Yeah. So lower your expectations so you're not so devastated and disappointed about, uh, you know, your country, basically. Which Yeah, I think that's what I, that's what I personally did. Now, I know everyone isn't like that. Like, my sister isn't, my brother isn't, my friends, a lot of my friends aren't there. They go into every single situation with high expectations and hopeful. But I think, you know, and I just, I just realized right in this moment, I think I legitimately traumatized by it because I remember how devastating Trayvon Martin's case was for me. And that was the last time I got emotionally, I allowed myself to get so emotionally invested in these these um, style murders. And that was years ago. Yeah, that one hurt too much. That one and then Eric Garner, so close. And I was just like, those are the two that I was just like, you know what, I can't. I can't, I can't pay attention to this with all of my heart anymore. It just, it just hurts to the core. Yeah, I mean, uh, Trayvon was back in 2012, uh, and Mr. Garner couldn't have been too much long longer after that. Uh, it, it, and after a while, you know, it's it, yeah, it was 2014, I believe he he passed. Um, it does get overwhelming and you do as you said it, it becomes normal uh which doesn't mean it's okay of course oftentimes we we perceive normal as being okay uh you want normal to be okay but when it's not that's when you have big problems and you know um i think that's what we're talking about you know it's a, how do you deal with this normal that's not okay to put it lightly yeah and um the crazy thing is what's normal now is um, a lot better than was when my grandmother witnessed, you know. So I guess it's progress. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I guess <laughs> you, you're right. I mean, that gives you some something to maybe fuel hope, right, that things could get better, but at the same time you don't. You don't want to be content with the way it is now because it's not good enough. As you know, exactly right. I mean, and the thing for me that it's odd. Again, I mean, I, I I know I feel like I know you better than I actually do because I know your family. You know, I know your brothers. I know your mom really well. We've done a lot of work together and excellent people and activists. You know, you come from a long line of activists. Um, the, the thing that's strange, I remember talking to your mom about this all the time because we're contemporaries. We're about the same age. 
if you know, no matter how upset I get, and I do genuinely get upset because I, I I like to think of myself as being, uh, you know, a conscious, thoughtful um, human being. I can't feel what exactly you know your mother feels being an African American woman. Uh, so that's tough for for me to a certain extent. Um, I mean, it, and and to ask somebody who does feel it more so, it being the injustice, the ugliness, is a, is a tough thing to do as well. You know, I don't want to conjure it up. I want to try to help understand. I you know, I also want to say, hey, I, you know, I'm I'm with you. We're together, but we're not really too at the same time, which is an odd. Yeah. Is that odd for me to say? No, I think it's I think it's uh very honest and realistic. Do you have these kinds of discussions with your close friends that are Caucasian for lack of a better term? Um yeah. To to a certain degree. Um You know what's interesting is go if you go back to like Trayvon and Eric Garner era even Michael Brown, even Sandra Bland, honestly, if you progress into the years a little bit, um, my white friends were much more silent, much more questioning things like, well, what were they doing to for that to happen? And it was infuriating. And I don't know something about this year has turned that all around. And the conversations have been so much better. It's been more realizing that this is a human being that was murdered by somebody who's supposed to protect them. So bringing up conversations about black and black crime don't matter because it's not even the same context. And through those conversations, I've gotten, I've experienced so much more empathy for my white friends and even saying things kind of similar to you and how, like, you can't feel the same way, but I want to know exactly what you're going through so I can at least empathize. And that's been a huge difference from what I referenced before, the other the other murders to this year. So, yeah, long story short, yes. No, that's a good explanation. I guess, why is that, uh, do you think? Is it safer to feel that way now, uh, which would be not as bold of a, of a statement if that's why, or is it because people just cannot turn away anymore? What do you think? I think people can't turn away anymore. I think it's a combination of that. I would also say, um, you know, interracial relationships are like an all time high now. So people have to care a little bit more or they, they feel it more because they're married to or giving birth to children who are affected by this. And also a combination of a lot of celebrities have been being a lot more vocal about it and forcing people to feel like they should have an opinion. And I think all of those things have helped. So even if you don't fully, even if the person doesn't fully really believe it, they feel obligated to be on one side versus the other. Right. Right. And sometimes sometimes if you fake something or you go with something without fully understanding, sometimes you'll eventually <laughs> learn to understand it. I mean, I've I've done that with 
a lot of different things. Not, I've done that with politics. <laughs> it's like if you just you go with it and you start to hear things and then you start to learn things and then you form the opinion for real. And I think a lot of that is happening as well. But I also think there's just a lot more genuineness. Yeah, I, you know, I think you're you hit something there. When and it's part of just human growth. If you're willing to grow, that's a big key. If you're open, it, you know, when you're only here, relatively speaking, for uh, you know a small amount of time, you're trying to gauge things. You're trying to understand. You're you're taking a lot of information and you're watching. You're experiencing. And but as as you're here longer and longer, if you are open and as honest as possible with what you're seeing and how you process it. You are. You start seeing trends. You start making sense of things. You start seeing contradictions and seeing uh, consistencies, whether they be good or bad ones. And then you start feeling more comfortable with your understanding, and thus, you know, you feel more comfortable with speaking out and supporting. You should, at least, you know, ideally. Yeah. Oh, but you know, when we when we look at the notion of, uh, you know, I've been. You and I are friends in social media, and I, I oftentimes read your posts because they're good ones, you know, whether they be funny or just lighthearted or deep. And lately they've been a bit more deep. Um, and and uh, I was compelled by um, some of the things you were saying regarding Black Lives Matter um, and also uh, how maybe economically speaking decisions have to be made. To, to get folks to pay attention, to also build up um, commu- ec- the economic strength and independence of uh, the, the the black community in particular. You want to re- yeah. reflect on that a bit? Yeah, I mean, I was just, um, you know, something that a lot of different people in the black community have been starting to become more aware of is, um, you know, the system that's in place isn't really respecting our lives or showing that they care to give us justice for really anything historically. But one thing that this country pays attention to is money. Even when different players in the NFL refuse to play or the NBA refuse to play and then he started messing with money and advertisements and advertisers were pulling out then we started to see little laws all right we'll do this or we'll do that and when money is in question every time money is in question that's when they give a little bit so you know the black community alone has over three trillion dollars of buying power in this country alone and I think for several reasons, like just gener- several generational uh, reasons uh, capped by systemic racism is why we don't use it properly. It's, it's like, so we don't know how to make it work in our favor, for instance, which I can't predict what they're going to do with it. But, you know, Brianna Taylor's family got a wrongful death settlement or something like that, like $12 million. And I feel like, and I, this is just my feeling, and obviously it's not fact at all, but I feel like that's easy to give over because historically that's going to go right back into the economy because that's what black people do as a community. We spend, 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 spend. We don't invest. Some of us do, but I mean, collectively, 
predominantly we don't invest and there's no buying power. Nobody's affected by how we spend our money or if we don't spend our money, we don't spend with our own. We spend with the corporations that are funding Trump's campaign. Like I recently found out the favorite store I have, one of my favorite stores is a Trump supporter. And I'm like, what the fuck? Nash. Beep. Use my language. But, um, (laughs) sorry, but, um, that's what I'm, I'm, I was touching on. It was just like, if we could just, maybe the the thing we're supposed to be learning here or fighting is just not solely anti-racism. Maybe we're supposed to learn how to invest in ourselves and organize our buying power so that we can fund these campaigns of the people that we want to get elected. So these, oh, these officials feel more obli- they feel more obligated to pass laws or not do things or, or if they don't, um, support or back the justice for someone murdered they're going to lose out on serious sponsorship money i don't know i mean i just feel like there's other ways to go about it because people's hands are tied in politics a lot because of who's sponsoring them and who's donating to their campaign and we don't do that right and and well you right now i think politically speaking it seems to me the uh black community in the United States is getting a lot of attention regarding, you know, uh, the presidential race in particular, right? And and just the House and Senate, too. Uh, you know, you have someone who is an African-American male running against Lindsey Graham in, uh, in the Carolinas, and you have uh, Biden, who was saved, uh, again, by the Carolinas, when uh, the black <laughs> community there uh, supported his um, primary run, and uh, and he's aware of that, and and he yeah. and he's not. I don't think he's taking it for granted. Do you think he is? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. You don't seem that enthused. You know, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> this election is a drab. He's not inspiring. I mean, Trump, I'm sure, uh, I, I don't even like mentioning his name. Uh, and I feel so comfortable yeah. saying that I think he's a complete buffoon and a bad person, period. I, I, I feel comfortable saying that outright. Um, Biden, I think, is a good guy. You know, I, I don't think he's an, I think he's a good, a good uh, soul. I don't know, you know, he's definitely not perfect. And I guess, you know, he's not that, He's not like a Cory Booker sort of energy, or a, or a Kamala Harris sort of sort of energy, you know, or or uh, many of the people that ran against him, right? They had more energy, Bernie, yeah. and so on. But do you trust him? I'm wondering. Do you think the black? I don't know. You don't know. Honestly, I don't like either of the candidates. But obviously, I'm going to go with Biden because anybody besides Trump is better. Um, That's how I feel. I'm not, I mean, there's nothing Biden has done that's made me feel like, yes, absolutely. Let me go out and campaign for him. It's just like, you'll get my vote because the other one is just not an option. You're going to vote for for him, right? You're not going to sit home and not do anything, right? Because then Trump will win. Yeah, no, I'm gonna vote for him. But that's what I just said. I'm gonna—he's gonna get my vote. But that's just because the other option isn't an option. 
Yeah, I know you said. I wanted you to say it again for anybody listening in case they were not as inspired either. You know, you got to, I, I, again, I feel comfortable saying you got to vote. If you don't, I, that's why we have Trump. And you got to remember, it's not just the presidential election either. Mm-hmm. Like, you, there are other elected officials or whatever, however you say it, um, that you you can vote on. So, I mean, I think people should look into that because a lot of these people are directly responsible for things that we care about as, as far as even like justice reform or whatever. You mean at the local level, state level? Are you talking Senate and House at the federal level? All of that, I guess? Yeah, all of that. There's... um. There's a lot to focus on. I mean, I guess I'm just, I feel like my energy went down here because I I was actually just talking about this with my friend not too long before you called about how like bummed out we are about the options for this <laughs> election and the last one, honestly. But this one, it's just like, what is going on? It's nothing like the, like, um, when Obama was running, like that was exciting. And even before him, the, the few before him, they were exciting um, elections where you had a strong opinion. You like, you strongly knew you wanted to go with either or, and this one, it's just like, all you know is you definitely don't want one. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really, I guess where we're at as a country, we can't take a chance I mean, even all of the other Democratic uh, seekers of the nomination, they're way behind Biden because you can't they know that he's the best option to get all of those folks that, you know, are are sort of the the crux of whether, you know, they're the focus of whether or not uh, we can beat uh, 45 or not. You know, those Rust Belt voters, they're they're moderate, if not conservative. So if you put somebody who is too too liberal they're not they're 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 going to vote for the other guy perhaps or not vote at all um yeah that's true i think that's we play to that group I, you know the electoral college is a problem i've been talking with about this for the last several weeks with guests if we didn't have the electoral college to worry about then this would not be an issue if it was just popular vote you know but mm-hmm. the electoral college which is that's steeped in racism in and of itself if you look at the history of it uh, it, 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 Amen to that. It is, you know, it's there to disenfranchise people. Uh, so we got to get rid of that. But I don't know how that's going to happen. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. So yeah, I understand. I sometimes I really try to find stuff in in uh, uh, Joe Biden to be inspired, and I, you know, he he, he I think he, I think he he he'll fight the good fight. You know, maybe I'm deluding myself. But I think he will fight the good fight. I think he'll he'll surround himself with a lot of bright people. All those people that ran against him in the primaries, I think a lot of them are going to be in his cabinet or have significant positions in, in his administration. And then, you know, that'll be a huge difference. I will, I will say, I will give him that. I do believe that he has good intentions, for sure. What about RBG? You know, I mean... You talked about other things that are connected, you, you know, to to voting. If if uh, you vote the right the wrong person into the presidency, they're going to vote in justices to the Supreme Court yeah. when there's right. And look, yep. what do you think about RBG? Does she does she uh, resonate with you at all? 
Yeah, RBG was dope. But I don't think there's, I mean, anybody with their sane mind, I don't think anybody who is remotely sane dislikes her. <laughs> you know, it's sad that she passed away. And I hope that we get another person that can even be a fraction of what she was. But not if Trump wins again. We definitely will not. Well, they're trying to get that done before the election even happens, you know. Um, and I think mm -hmm. they're going to. I think they're going to. And it's going to be uh, a woman who's very conservative. You know, they, she, he hasn't announced yet as, as we speak, probably for a lot of people after they, once they hear this broadcast, he, he would have announced. Um, but it, for sure, it's going to be a conservative woman. Uh, now, as a woman... Does it blow your mind sometimes about how other women will choose people that seem to not respect the the lives or the rights of, of females? Yeah, yes and no, I guess. Um, I mean, I guess like initially it's mind-blowing, but then the other side of me kicks in where you understand that women also are responsible for Trump being in office. So it's just like, it's just what we do, I guess. But why? Can you tell me? I don't, I, I, I have no idea. It's I mean, not mind blowing. It's, it's more baffling. Well, I mean, I know my mother and you know, your mother, they wouldn't stand for this kind of BS that a lot of women are willing to stand for? Is it, is it religion? Is it being used to the patriarchy and just, you know, uh, it's their normal, so they, they feel more comfortable even though it's not in their own best interests? I don't know. I mean, if I had to guess, something resonated when you said being used to the patriarchy, but I don't know. I can't relate. I feel like it's... um. It's that part of womanhood I just, I really can't relate to. It's just like, I don't get it. And sometimes it feels like it doesn't even apply to me. Do you feel it's incumbent upon women to inform other women that, hey, this is not the best way to go or not? Or are you just like, whatever, do your thing? No, see, I don't know what to like to make it like a woman thing because that feels very feminist to me, and I don't identify as a feminist whatsoever. But just as a human, like human to human, to understand decency, I feel like we all have that responsibility to share. And then, it, then it just boils down to, I guess, individualism, and then you just have to accept that some people are just the way that they are. Some, like, I don't know. There's so many things in this world that you feel like are, for lack of a better expression, just common sense. And it's not. It's just, there's no such thing as common sense. No, there's there's the norm, again. And, and we don't know. For we, we, we can't assume the norm is, is good. Uh, but everybody's doing it. And you got to change the norms. And the reason, I hear what you're saying, and I know we've talked many times, you, you don't subscribe to, generally speaking, a feminism, 
um, which I find interesting because I and I'm, you know I don't mean to judge. I just find it interesting because I think just like you were talking earlier, the black community, if it pools its resources and pushes back collectively on injustice, they have more power and strength in that in that way. Same thing with women, you know, or any group for that matter. Uh, so, though, you know, there are different factions of fem- feminism, and I, I kind of understand, too. And your mother, in many ways, has schooled me on this years ago. You know, uh, women of color who uh, oftentimes don't have the the financial means to... to uh, make claims or, or, or say they're, you know, they're going to go out and, and work if they want to, which seems bizarre to a, a, a woman who is a single parent and needs to work. It's not an option. I, that feminism, yeah. it doesn't really connect with them. I get, I think I get, I don't know if that's why you're saying what you're saying. Um, or if you just think it's silly generally, I'm not sure. Can, do, do, can you share with me why feminism is kind of like not that doesn't, you don't gravitate toward it so much? I feel like uh, if the idea if the if the idea of feminism was actually um, wholeheartedly about the upliftment and empowerment of women, then cool, 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 cool. Like I'm all about women empowerment. However, feminism, especially last year, I mean they've cooled down a lot this year, um, was taking a totally different turn. It just started it really just started to feel like a support group for angry white women um, complaining about privileges that never even applied to me. And I just, I just didn't want to be associated with um, a group of women who spend all their time going after a patriarchy that has literally built them to be the standard of all women in the world. So that's why I wasn't really, that's why I don't I don't identify as long as it's like that. So that part of feminism, which has been predominantly just man hating, man hating, patriarchy hating, patriarchy where we don't make enough money when you make the most money out of all the other women in any other race. It's just like that I can't be a part of. I have no interest in it. I don't identify with it. I don't like the feeling I get when I hear the word feminist. I don't like the feeling that other people get when they hear feminist. Women empowerment, however, and a humanist, that's what I identify as. Got it. Thank you. That helps. That helps me understand. Um, talking to Nash Rose here, regular contributor, Brooklyn-based comedian and comedic writer. And um, we're just about out of time for this uh, conversation, believe it or not. So what do you see coming up? What, what, are, what are your thoughts about uh, the future? <laughs> future is so unknown. Anything could happen. It could be zombies. It could be aliens next. 2020 has been consistently unpredictable <laughs> yeah i wouldn't have bet on 2020 being this way at all you would think 2020 you know we'd see better we see maybe we're going to see you know 2020 vision all of this is going to make us see more clearly perhaps going to be hindsight 2020 well we're not going to get it until 2021 <laughs> that's right that's right probably so and hopefully so um, well, Nash, it's always a pleasure talking with you, and uh, hopefully the next time we talk, we have some good news to share with, you know, with regard to what's going on in our nation. I hope so, too. Thanks for having me again. It's always fun.
Oh, yeah, it's a pleasure. Take care of yourself and tell your fam I said hey. I sure will. You take care, too. Bye. Bye. from the New Yorker magazine. It's September 21st, 2020 edition. This is titled, Bermuda Wants You, written by Charles Bethia. State tourism boards have ceased their siren calls in recent months, instead offering tough love in response to the pandemic. Colorado's Waiting to Co anti-tourism campaign, asked that would-be visitors, in lieu of actually coming to the state, post pictures of, quote, Colorado activities that could be safely enjoyed at home. Kayaking in the pool, perhaps. Climbing the chimney with ropes. The campaign was intended to slow the spread of the coronavirus in a state that's had more than 60,000 cases of COVID-19, while simultaneously wetting travelers' appetites for post-pandemic trips. Campaigns to keep people out are not exactly new. In the 70s, an Oregon governor proclaimed, For heaven's sakes, don't move here. 
long before Seattle became a mecca for Kurt Cobain fans, a prescient local journalist popularized the slogan, Keep the Bastards Out. In 2018, Nebraska introduced the catchphrase, Honestly, it's not for everyone, which actually succeeded in bringing more people to the Cornhusker state. Quote, which had been among the least likely states for anybody to visit for a long time, John Ricks, Nebraska's tourism director, said recently. Ricks, who is based in Lincoln, helped come up with, honestly, it's not for everyone, which was inspired by a concept from the field of medicine. Quote, inoculation is what we call it, Ricks said. That's where you feed off the negative perception, he went on. We've been fortunate during this COVID crisis People say, go to open places, smaller cities, rural communities, places you've never been. Well, that's our product. End quote. Of course, if there were an uptick in cases, Nebraska could change course and tout the old perception of the state. As Ricks put it, quote, nothing to do, flat and boring, dusty plains. Jimmy M., the Brooklyn-based founder of the website Travel Binger, claims to have visited more hotels around the world, 600 and counting, than anyone else, and has been to some 40 states in his capacity as a travel professional. Quote, I've been invited to many of the rest, he said, mentioning Nebraska, but for now he's staying put at home in Williamsburg. M offered tourism boards some unsolicited slogans to help them keep vacationers away. Here are a few. Florida. Governor Ron is a douchebag. Iowa. Not enough attractions. California. It's a natural disaster. Idaho. Neo-Nazis and whatnot. Telling tourists not to go somewhere fatuously or as a matter of life and death, is an about-face for most travel industry professionals. It's hard, Campbell Levy, a vice president at Turner, a public relations company with travel-related clients in two dozen states, said the other day from his office in Evergreen, Colorado, quote, The world is different than it was. The tourism business is suffering, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense to get on a plane right now unless you really have to, end quote. Lately, Levy has been pushing an alternative to stateside travel, obtaining a 12-month worker certificate from Bermuda. His company represents the British territory, which is situated approximately 650 miles off the North Carolina coast and has a population of more than 60,000. Unlike most places, Bermuda wants visitors. Its economy is dependent on them. Quote, there's practically no COVID there. Levy said, only 177 COVID cases have been confirmed on the island. Eight are currently active. It's a prime opportunity, he added, and they've got really robust testing. More than 300 people from a dozen countries, including Brazil, China, South Africa, and Bangladesh, have applied for Bermuda's certificate program, which launched in August. Certification for a 12-month stay costs $263, lodging not included. Sadie Millard, a New Yorker in her 40s who works as a partner at a Wall Street brokerage firm, got a head start. She was visiting her boyfriend, who works as a civil engineer in Bermuda, when COVID hit New York in March. Quote, I came for the weekend, then things got crazy, she said. 
Airlines began suspending outbound flights from the island, her firm closed its offices, and employees began working remotely. She decided to stay. Her partners at the firm are fine with it. Even if there were in-person meetings to attend, there are not, New York is just a two-hour flight away. Trading her 600-square-foot apartment for a house near a golf course was not a tough call. Quote, Nothing was open in New York, she said. No theater, no concerts, no anything. Storm season has arrived, but Millard, who expects to receive her worker certificate next week, is taking her chances. Quote, I'd rather go through a hurricane than get COVID in New York City. Back in Colorado, Levy couldn't stop himself from pitching a potential future traveler on Nebraska, one of his stalled accounts. What would this tourist do there? It's really worth floating down a river in a livestock tank with a few buddies, Levy said, a pastime that locals call tanking. He added, but only once it's safe again.
tongue. My tongue licks the top lip as I scratch these words on this piece of paper. Are you hearing them at the moment through a voice I can only imagine? Can you picture my hand holding this pen as I try to transfer to you love, lust, this pain, and affection? All in good faith with my warm heart beating. Baby, you understand me now If sometimes you see that I'm mad Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are I'm so carefree With a joy that's hard to hide And then sometimes again it seems that all I have is worry And then you're bound to see my other side But I'm just a soul But that's one thing I never mean to do Cause I love you Oh, baby, I'm just human Don't you know I have faults like anyone Sometimes I find myself alone Regretting some little foolish thing Some simple thing that I've done And there you have it, episode 388 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Nash Rose, as well as writer Charles Bethia, The New Yorker magazine, and these musical artists. Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Squeeze, Genevieve, 
Nash Rose, the B-52s, Nina Simone, and of course, Brantford Marsalis and Terence Blanchard, too. And I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and try to do our best with this time. Take care.